to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to his word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased this joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. Good morning, church. It is good to uh, be with you again, even though we're not face-to-face. Uh, we're excited for the time when we can meet again, and we're praying and hoping and preparing uh, for that day, and we hope that it's very soon. Um, we're going to be in, as Bob read, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. If you have your Bible, we'd love for you to open it up with us. Uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Join us in the Word of God today. Uh, we love you. Uh, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Who's your enemy? Have you ever thought about that? Or maybe the question should be, what is your enemy? Maybe you're like me and, and you're a people pleaser and so you don't think that you have any enemies uh, that maybe that you know about. But maybe, uh, maybe things are your enemy. Maybe money is your enemy. Maybe you see that as a, some kind of conquering army that you can't wrangle, you can't get a hold of. Uh, maybe money is the enemy who has uh, who threatened to, to capture your heart. Um, maybe your enemy is a person, and maybe you, you're angry toward a person, you're bitter toward that person, and maybe they have captured your heart, and, and your whole life seems to be about hating that person. Uh, maybe that's your enemy. Well, we all have them. Uh, whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, we all have enemies, um, and really, I think from a biblical perspective, in a lot of ways, we should be thankful for our enemies. For one reason, and really maybe one reason alone, our enemies have a way of revealing whom we trust. When we're face to face with our enemies, they have a way of spreading our soul out before us and revealing whom we really trust. If my enemy is money and I'm trying to defeat money and trying to get enough money in my bank account. Am I going to trust greed? Am I going to trust cheating on my taxes? Am I going to trust stealing from work? Or am I going to trust what God says about money? That money is the that love of money is the root of all evil. That trusting money is a way to destruction. When a person is my enemy and I'm bitter toward that person and I come face to face with that person. Am I going to trust gossip? Am I going to trust my hatred or my anger or revenge? Or am I going to trust Jesus who says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. 
So when our enemies have this, uh, have this characteristic that they reveal whom we trust, it could be very beneficial to come face to face with our enemy. And that's the context of our passage for today. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, the background is this. You may be familiar, uh, the people of Israel have split in two. There's Israel and there's Judah. Now, Judah has a king named Ahaz. And King Ahaz and the people of Judah, their hearts are shaking like a tree in the wind. That's what Isaiah says. And they're shaking, they're fearful, they're trembling because the enemy armies are coming. They are coming, they're going to be, they, they fear that they're going to be face to face with their enemies, the army of Syria and the army of Ephraim. And King Ahaz has heard rumors that these armies are going to be coming and they are shaking in the wind. And King Ahaz is wondering, whom can I trust to save us from these enemies? And God, being gracious and being faithful and being trustworthy, he sends his prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. And Isaiah has this message from God to the king. Isaiah says, no, what you've heard is right. Uh, Syria and Ephraim are planning to attack you. But Isaiah says, do not fear. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. God promises that if you trust in him, these armies will not attack you. They're not coming. And then he ends by saying it this way. He says, Ahaz, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so Isaiah ends this prophecy to Ahaz, and he says, trust the Lord. He promises that these armies aren't coming. He's going to stop them somehow. Trust the Lord. Be firm in your trust of the Lord, or you will not be firm at all. Meaning, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And God, and God's, God is so gracious toward Ahaz. Even in Ahaz, God knows that Ahaz is trembling, even though, even though he knows who the Lord is. He knows the Lord. He knows what God has done for his people in the past, that God is faithful. He's been faithful to his people. Even though Ahaz is trembling and he's trying to figure out who to trust and he's questioning, he's skeptical about God's faithfulness. Even in that context, Isaiah says, hey, in God's grace, because you are not confident in the Lord. God is going to be gracious. To grow your confidence, God is uh, offering to you, Ahaz, to do something miraculous as a sign showing that he is really with you. And Isaiah says, you ask of whatever sign you want. It can be as low as Sheol or as high as heaven. That means anything your heart desires, any sign that you want, ask of it, and God will deliver to build your confidence. And so we have a, a picture where Ahaz, his enemies are coming. And he has a question. Ahaz, who are you going to trust in the face of your enemies? Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust someone else, something else, or yourself? Whom are you going to trust? Now, we can all recognize that question. Whether we know it or not, whether we can admit it or not, all of us ask that same question a thousand times a week. 
when our, our earthly enemies come to us. They're, they're not the armies of Syria or Ephraim, but our enemies might be layoffs, might be poverty, it might be social rejection, it might be sexual temptation, it might be drugs or alcohol, our enemies might be greed or hatred or gossiping, and they might be coming for us. Maybe, that, maybe that's happened to you this week. We all face it. And when these enemies come a thousand times a week, we can ask ourselves, am I going to trust God in the face of these enemies? Obey God, trust Him to get me through them? Or am I going to trust myself? Or am I going to surrender? Or am I going to trust something of the world to get me through? And we all answer this question in an eternal way. We all answer this question in the face of our real enemies, sin and death and hell. There is no army that has ever lived from the Stone Age all the way up to the the most powerful army in the world. There has never been an enemy. There's never been an army more scary, more terrifying, more destructive than the armies of sin and death and hell. And we all make an eternal answer to that question. Who am I going to trust in the face of those armies? Am I going to trust myself or my goodness? Am I going to trust my parents that they wouldn't let me go to hell? Am I going to trust my self-righteousness or am I going to trust Jesus? So we can all understand where Ahaz is. And with this question, am I going to trust God or am I going to trust something? Am I going to search for someone else? Ahaz fails the test. He trusts someone else. Even in the face of this gracious, uh, this gracious offer of a miraculous sign, Ahaz pulls out a verse from Deuteronomy and he, he, he hangs his hat in front of God's prophet Isaiah and in response to God, he hangs his hat on this, this verse that says, do not, do not test the Lord your God, which of course is not what he's doing. God is offering this. He's not testing God. And he pulls this verse out in a way of, of kind of a, a, a fake and phony, self-righteous, biblical understanding to try to sound good, to try to make an excuse for going other, other places. He says, nope, I don't want to sign. I'm going somewhere else. And he runs to the biggest bully on the block. He trusts the empire of Assyria. Wicked people. Powerful people. And he goes to Assyria and he says, hey, you need to help me. You need to protect me from these other guys. And Judah's not attacked by Syria and Ephraim. Judah's not defeated by Syria and Ephraim, rather. And guess what? What do you think is going to happen when the big bully in town takes care of those other guys for you? What's he going to do? Now he's coming for your lunch money. That's exactly what happens. The people that Ahaz chose to trust over the Lord becomes his destruction. And isn't that the way that it goes for us? When we trust something or someone above and beyond God, whatever that is, whomever that is, becomes our destruction. What an irony. And 
Isaiah 8, so we're, in, we're starting in Isaiah 8, earlier in the chapter, Isaiah tells the world this, and he says this, The Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many. Who is this river that's mighty? The king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and will sweep into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and like a giant bird of prey. Its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Ahaz and Judah chose Assyria over God. And Assyria becomes their destruction. I know that was a long introduction, but there's a lot of context to enter into our, our passage today. And so our passage today begins and asks the question, what does it feel like for the worldly thing we place trust in to be our destruction? What happens? What does that feel like? How does that come about? It comes about this way. Read with me. Verse 20, chapter 8, says this, To the teaching and the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. What we find when we are skeptical of God's trustworthy nature, what we find when we trust the world over God, is we find distress, darkness, gloom, and anguish. Trusting the world, rejecting God, is to live in darkness. You know what this feels like. You know what it's like to, uh, to get up in the middle of the night, the lights are off, you don't want to wake anyone else up, you're trying to be nice, and the kids have, have Legos and toys and dolls stretched out all over the place, and you're, you're like you're in a minefield, you're jumping over, you're stepping on Legos, you're bumping into the wall, and by the time you're finished, everyone in the house is awake. You know it's li what it's like to walk around in darkness. That's what it's like to trust the world. You don't really know what's coming. You, to trust the world is not to understand reality. If you understood reality, if I understood reality, I would trust God. To trust the world is to not understand all the minefields and pitfalls and cliffs that the world is going to lead you to. But you can't see. To trust the world is to be blind to reality. Isaiah says when, when Ahaz and Judah trusted, some, trusted Assyria instead of God, they were living in a world of distress. 
Some of us are trusting things of the world to bring satisfaction, to bring relief, to bring necessities, to bring whatever. We're trusting the world. And you feel this. Some of us feel this every day, that we're living in a world of distress. Because when we trust the world, the world will never satisfy us. And so we, are, we live in constant worry or anguish or anxiety or desperation. And I've been in church long enough and I've been a sinner long enough to know that some of us live with this desperation deep down and we show up to church with this nice smiley mask on. We might be able to hide it. And maybe even from ourselves for a season. But when we trust in the world, we're going to live in distress. We're going to live in darkness. And he says they will wander the earth and they will be hungry. There's nothing to satisfy. I'm walking around in the world and I'm stuffing things in my face in a hopes that it will satisfy me, but nothing will satisfy. Nothing will satisfy us. And as nothing satisfies us, one of our greatest sins comes welling, swelling out of us. We're not satisfied by any of this stuff. We're living in distress. We're living in anxiety. We're living in darkness. And the reason we're living in all these things is we have rejected God. We have proclaimed Him untrustworthy by trusting the world. And yet we're angry at God. How sinful is that? God, I don't need you. And when I go this way and I try to have relationships satisfy me or money satisfy me or greed or, or gluttony or any of these other things, if I try to be satisfied there and those things fall short and I'm distressed over that, then I say, God, how could you let this happen? And I've been a sinner a long, long enough to recognize that situation in my own life. Can you? What hypocrisy. I don't need you, God. I need this person, this woman, this thing. And when that thing lets me down in my distress, my darkness, and my anxiety, my hunger, I say, God, how could you let this happen? Foolish contempt and anger at God for the results of my own sin. And here's an important thing to remember about all this. This is not, this is not a 20-minute kid's show on television. This is real life. On a kid's show on television, you make the wrong decision and boom, the consequences happen right then. What's so tricky about sin and what's so tricky about faithlessness is that it might feel good for a season. Listen, this is the third time I've said it during this talk. I've been a sinner a lot long enough to know if sin wasn't fun for a little while, I wouldn't be doing it. So for Judah and for Ahaz, man, that coming to Assyria seemed great for a little while. Whew. All right. Didn't have to trust God. Assyria saved the day. Way to go, Assyria. That sounds great. There was a season that that looked like a good idea. And often this is God's patience with us that we 
sin or we try to find satisfaction there and he calls us christians he's calling us his holy spirit is gentle conviction saying you don't need to be going that way place your trust in god this thing will let you down and for a season we chase after that and everything looks okay and we ignore that gentle correction of the holy spirit and then finally boom in god's patience he lets us do that calling us back letting us reject him and then we fall flat isn't God gracious? Isn't He patient? God is patient. He has given Judah time to repent. They haven't. And we might be tempted to say, man, those poor people, they just have a bad leader. Well, it seems to be the case almost every time that when there is a bad leader, the leader is a reflection of the people. And that's true in this case. Ahaz is a reflection and is a judgment on the people of Israel for letting a king like Ahaz make these terrible decisions. Isaiah says the people of Israel are already showing faithlessness. They oppress the poor. They are prideful. They are greedy. They are materialistic. They are drunkards, he says. They call evil good. So they're showing themselves to be faithless, to be trusting other things. And so Ahaz is just a, it's a judgment on the people. And then we see in verse 20, the define, one of the defining characteristics of faithlessness is a rejection or a disregard of the word of God. Verse 20 starts out by saying, to the, it says, to the teaching and the testimony. Go to it. Ahaz, listen to what Isaiah is saying. Listen to what God is saying to you through Isaiah. Listen to the teaching and the testimony. But he says, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. For those of us who have no dawn, who do not have Jesus, who do not have an eternity with God to look forward to, we will not care about the word of God. And that's what we see in Ahaz, that's what we see in Judah. And then it ends with this troubling phrase, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Be thrust into thick darkness. The road of faithlessness leads to a future of thick darkness. And I think the idea is they're in a little darkness right now. God's grace is still on them, but on this road to, in this road of faithlessness will lead to a future of thick darkness. And we should tremble when we hear thick darkness because Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 30, the lost will be thrown into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, sorrow and anger. What's Jesus talking about? It's talking about the eternal destiny of the faithless. The eternal destiny of those who continually reject God and claim that He is untrustworthy. But here's the amazing part of this passage. That we've got, we're down, man, that roller coaster. We're down, 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 down toward the very bottom. We can't get any lower. We're talking about outer darkness, talking about hell. How terrible is this? We see this terrible situation. And here's the amazing part. Everything changes. 
and we see the faithlessness of Ahaz and Judah. We see the faithlessness in our own hearts, and then everything changes, and we see even in the faithlessness of people, God is faithful. Even in the face of his enemies, we are his enemies. We declare ourselves the enemies of God in the face of his enemies. We see the triumph of God's grace. We see the triumph of God's grace for this broken and distressed people who are in anguish and who are heading towards deep darkness. Isaiah also reveals that darkness will not have the last laugh. That anguish will not have the last word. That Assyria will not have the last word. That for those who come to Christ in faith, their destiny is not darkness. He says it like this. Let's start out in chapter 9. So we're, we're down, down, down in the bottom of the roller coaster. And then chapter 9 starts with, I love when the word but is in scripture. Because that means something good is coming. Something bad happened. Something good is coming. But, verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for who, her who is in anguish. In the former time, talking about right now, what he's talking about, in the former time, what's happened to Judah right then, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's Galilee. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, Isaiah is talking about the same piece of land. And he's talking about how we have been faithful or faithless in the face of a faithful God. We have run, over, we have run after worldly things to, to trust in. Even in the face of that, yes, God has brought judgment in Galilee where Assyria has come, where anguish is now, but in that same land. In that same land, something glorious will happen. Galilee is where Jesus comes. In the same land that is, seems wrecked by faithlessness, that seems hopeless by not trusting God, that seems hypocritical and terrible, and all, in that same land, God will walk among us. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And he will walk among us and he won't be Assyria. He will walk among us and where Assyria brought destruction, he will bring healing. Where Assyria brought death, he will bring life. Where Assyria brought oppression, he will bring freedom. In that same land. In the face of faithlessness, God's grace is triumphant. And what's so amazing about this passage, what's so amazing about this turn, what's so amazing about that word, but, is that what did these people do to deserve that? 
Isaiah says these are prideful people who have rejected God, who have rejected his prophets, who are greedy and oppress the poor and are self-righteous. He gives this picture and read the gospels. What do we see? We see the same thing when Jesus walks the earth. They are still prideful and self-righteous. They're just like me. They're still sinners. What did they do to deserve this glory? Nothing. It is pure grace and mercy of God. It is God displaying that Assyria that you trusted in is not worthy of your trust and the God that you have rejected remains faithful forever and gracious forever. Despite all people's utter rejection of God, he will send Jesus to save sinners. What a God we serve. And what will Jesus bring why will Jesus prove more trustworthy? What will the world look like? That's how we end this passage together. It says this in verse, chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Sinner, have you seen the light of Jesus? Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. There's that word again. Increased its joy. They rejoice before you, Jesus, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Spoil of what? Spoil of war. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, in battle garb, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What will Jesus bring? Why is Jesus trustworthy? Well, where everything else brings darkness, Jesus brings light. You will not understand and see reality without first seeing Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it beautifully. I believe in Christ, he says, like I believe in the sun. Not because I can see it, but by it I can see everything else. He's right. Jesus himself says that. John 8, 12, he says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is trustworthy because he helps us see the world for what it really is. He helps us see those things that we might try to trust in and we see that they're leading us to a cliff and they're leading us to thick darkness and eternal darkness. He shows us who we really are. That we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus brings us light. Jesus brings us joy. He says this this land that was defined by a distress and anguish and gloom has found incredible joy. Joy in two ways. Joy as in the harvest. You remember how Isaiah said these people are hungry? Well, now with Jesus, people can be full. Joy as in the harvest. As in Jesus provides his people with everything we need for life. Jesus says, 
I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the water of life. Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus provides his people with everything they need to be fully human. He said, I'll give you two examples. Jesus says this about, what about food? You need food. You need clothing. Sometimes we worry about that. And I understand, sometimes we get into difficult situations where we might worry about that. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 25. If you are his people, he's telling you this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away food in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, aren't you much more valuable than they? Jesus will provide. What else? Jesus will provide for our need for relationships. When you come to Christ, stick with me here, when you come to Christ, your most basic foundational relationship is the church. It is the church. What do I mean by that? When you come to Christ, He, gives you, he promises to give you everything you need to live a full human life. That means relationships. When you come to Christ, He doesn't promise to give you a spouse. When you come to Christ, He doesn't promise to give you children. When you come to Christ, if you were an orphan, He doesn't promise to bring you a mother and a father. He doesn't promise to bring you friends in the world. He doesn't promise any of those. What does He promise? He promises to bring you a church family. That's the personal relationships that he promises to provide you with. And so if Jesus says he will, he will give all that we need for human flourishing, if we follow him, and he says he promises to bring us one type of, of personal relationship, and that is a church family. How important is a church family? It's vital. It's vital. How precious is a church family? It's so precious. It's so precious. If you have a spouse, love your spouse first. If you have children, love your children first. But understand that the only relationship Jesus promises to provide, the only relationship that he says we need as we walk around this earth, is a church family. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. If you don't have a church home, if you don't have a church family, you need to find one. You need to find one. We have joy at the harvest. We have a joy when we divide the spoils. Just as in victory over the enemy, Jesus will share the spoils of his victory over sin and death and hell on our behalf. Unlike Assyria, Assyria provided protection and then they came in and, and, and knocked out Judah. They stole, they stole his lunch money. Unlike Assyria, Jesus comes and he gives us victory and he also gives us the spoils. That's not fair. We didn't do anything to deserve that. And he gives it freely. Joy in the spoils. And finally, what will this victory look like? What will this victory of Jesus look like? Why is Jesus more trustworthy than anything else we could imagine? He says, Isaiah says, For the yoke of your burden will be broken. The staff and the rod of whoever oppresses you will be 
broken. He says, it'll be like the days of Midian. Do you remember those days in Judges? We have the judge Gideon raised up to deliver Israel from a Midian army that outnumbers the sand on the shore. And Gideon is Barney Fife. You remember Barney Fife from the Andy Griffith show? Wimpy dude, uh, uh, irresponsible dude. Andy Griffith, the sheriff, gave his deputy, uh, Barney Fife, only one bullet. And he had to put it in his shirt pocket. That's the kind of warrior Barney Fife was, and that's the kind of warrior Gideon was. God says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to free my people from their oppression. And Gideon goes out. If you remember the story, he has thousands and thousands in his army, and God says, nope, I'm not going to let anyone steal my thunder for this. I'm going to defeat this army. And so he says, Gideon, get rid of everybody but 300. And those 300 are more Barney Fife's. And he says, okay, Gideon, I'm going to give you a torch. I'm going to give you a trumpet and I'm going to put a jar over. You're going to put a jar over the torch. I can't hold my sword, God. Exactly. You're not going to fight this battle. In the middle of the night, sneak up to the enemy, blow your trumpet, break your jar. And as they sneak up, as they blow their trumpet, they break the jar. They stand wide eyed and they see this huge army destroy itself. What's the point? Christian, you and I don't raise one finger to aid God in the battle to deliver us from our enemies. God's victory for his people is so incredible, is so powerful, that we don't raise one finger. You're not righteous to help God out. You're not kind to help God out. You're not even faithful to help God out. It's all Him. Salvation is all Jesus. He says, your freedom is purchased like the battle against the Midians. It's all God. And he goes even so far as to say this, even when the battle's over, the spoils keep coming. So God is going to defeat this enemy. And then he ends with this verse, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What does this mean? God is going to defeat your enemies so totally that for eternity, that victory is going to bring you incredible joy. It's going to be as if God slaughters your enemies, sin and death and hell, and anyone that, anything that you are facing as a Christian, God will defeat. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in a month, maybe in eternity, but He will defeat it on your behalf. And God will scoop up all the boots, all the armor, all the clothing of these defeated armies, and we see Him pick them up, and they're dripping with your blood. You, they have brought you suffering. But he's even going to turn that suffering for your good. And the picture is he takes all of this and he throws it in your fire and your fireplace to bring you warmth. He uses it for your good. Meaning his victory for you is so total. Anything that's bringing you suffering, he will turn for your good. Romans 8:28. All things work together for the good of those who love God. That's his victory for you. So, our question is, whom do you trust 
when you come face to face with your enemy. Whom will you trust this week, Christian? Maybe you have trusted in God for your salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. You have said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I trust in you. I repent from trusting in anything else. I repent from my sins. I'm a trust in you. And you know that Jesus has wiped the floor with your enemies. And you have eternity sealed forever. But maybe this week you're going to have these smaller battles like I am, a thousand of them. Who are you going to trust? Maybe you're here. Maybe you're there. You're listening to this. And you haven't trusted Jesus for your eternity. What's stopping you? Jesus claims that He will bring you victory. He will will provide you with joy. He will provide you with love. He will provide you with satisfaction for eternity. And I can tell you, He delivers what He promises. What's stopping you from trusting Him? We love you. I can't wait to be with you face to face. Please be praying for us in this season. We're praying for you. We love you. We'll see you again next time.